0: This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So today, I get to share with you a message I've been thinking about for a long time. And it's a message that I think is as old as the hills. It's an ancient message. It comes really from the the core backbone construct of what the Bible really is. And that's a document that goes back thousands of years. I would suggest that it existed with human beings before the Bible started, uh, you know, those stories started to be created. So it's an ancient message. And at the same time, it's an incredibly simple message. So simple that I'm like, yeah... if I only had gotten it, I mean, it's so stupidly simple, I should have been able to do this from the time I was in kindergarten, and yet I have not succeeded. So uh, maybe it's a useful message as well. I think of it in terms of, I've been calling this talk the operating system for faith, a new operating system, or or really the ancient operating system, it's the same system But it's a system that you need to deploy in order to have faith truly come alive and be effective. When I think about faith, I think it gets used in all kinds of different ways, but it's essentially just like a computer. If I brought my laptop out, I could hold it up, and I thought, yeah, it's just too too nasty to hold up a computer for a church service. But it's, it's... A box, and inside that box is all kinds of circuitry, and there's little diodes and little chips and all kinds of different things where signals are supposed to be able to travel around inside that box. And without an operating system, it is really nothing more than just an expensive box that will do nothing to help you. You might as well use it as a boat anchor. So with that operating system, though, the machine comes alive, and I can push a button, and at the push of a button, something beautiful happens. Something, for example, the slides come up on the screen because somebody in the back is just pushing a button, and there's a whole lot of organized electrical activity that's going on in order to make that happen. So there's suddenly a result that's happening because of an action that wouldn't otherwise happen. So if you think about that in terms of faith, and think about faith as being a construct that is much like that box that is wired in a certain way, that you've got to have the operating system in order for it to work. And not only is it just faith in general, but I think in terms of this, Wonderfully problematic, yet holy, sometimes sacred, sometimes completely confusing. And let's be honest, at times, you know, even we get either irritated or bored by some of the stuff that's in this book. With the operating system, this comes alive and it starts to work in a different way. And for me when you deploy the operating system, there's an energy that happens to it. And that energy, I would say, is God's stuff. That's God's stuff. So this is really the final series about it's really all about love. And what I'm here today to tell you is this really is all about love. And when you learn how to deploy that system in your life, It's just like a a computer with an operating system. Very, very powerful things start to happen. And it's not not just an electronically generated system. This is a God-generated system. And so what we are able to accomplish with it is stuff that we could not accomplish ourselves. And I'm thinking in terms of growth, because I've learned that I can't grow myself very well, but growth can happen, insights can happen, a way that opens up for me to see where to go can happen when I couldn't, of my own power and own will and own vision, see that way. Healing happens. All kinds of very, very powerful things happen that that really... By myself, I would be powerless to trigger. So so hopefully, I can help you with that today. We started off this system choosing love with a very, very powerful presentation. When we started it three weeks ago, I was out in Seattle. I was preaching out in Seattle, but because there's a time difference, I can tune in to New Church Live in my hotel room, and I could watch Scarlett Lewis talk. Now, Scarlett Lewis, as you may recall, if you were here, her son was killed in the Sandy Hook Massacre back in 2011 up in Connecticut, and she was suddenly confronted with a very, very traumatic environment, and she had a choice of what she was going to do with it. So I took a little clip out of that talk where she really is zeroing in on that question. What was she gonna do about it? And let's watch that.
1: It doesn't surprise us that the number one way to happiness is through connection and love. And we can actually choose this. We can choose it for ourselves and for others. We're gonna go through a powerful formula on how to do that. So my son, Jesse, left three words on our kitchen chalkboard. And he wrote these shortly before he died. So I came home, actually, I stayed at my mom's, I thought I would never be able to go back to my farmhouse where I raised my two boys as a single mom. Uh, But I had to go back to get Jesse's clothes for the funeral. And it was on my way out that day, a few days after his murder, that I saw three words on the kitchen chalkboard. Nurturing, healing, love. Now, those three words aren't in the vernacular of a six-year-old. They're not something a six-year-old would normally say. Phonetically spelled because he was in first grade and just learning to write. But I downloaded so much information from those words. I knew immediately that if Adam Lanza, the shooter, in our instance, was able to give and receive nurturing, healing love, that the tragedy would never have happened. And I knew that it would be my mission in life to spread this message. I knew that there was some kind of spiritual awareness that Jesse had, that he wouldn't be around for very much longer. And he wanted to leave a message of comfort for his family and friends, but also a message of inspiration for the world. And I knew I'd be spending the rest of my life spreading this message. And actually, um, I invited a a doctoral university professor, the director of the Compassion, Creativity and Innovation Center, to come over and look at the message. And I said, Dr. Cook, what does this mean? He said, let me go back to my office and I'm going to do some research. He did some research and called me 24 hours later and he said, those three words are in the definition of compassion across all cultures. And together we broke down the meaning of each of the words. And we found that nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. Healing literally means forgiveness and love is compassion in action. When you have the courage to practice those three character values neuroscientifically in that order. And I'm pretty sure that Jesse didn't realize that you're choosing love. You'll see why we put courage in there in a moment, but it really does take courage to do a lot of the things that we do right in our life. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we could spend the day
0: unpacking that. That's just amazing. And the operating system, and I think that she stumbled upon this operating system really in the most difficult of ways, but she came upon it that you have to choose love. You have to live a life of nurturing, healing, and love, as she's, she said, and you have to courageously choose that. And the operating system, in my mind, is reflected in the statement that she said about the shooter, where if that person had been able to receive love and give love. Receive love and give love. If that person had been able to do that, that event never would have happened. And that to me is an illustration of the change, that something can really be different. And, And I would just say in terms of New Church Live as an organization and other faith organizations around here, to the degree... That we learn to mobilize our faith in order to communicate love and in ways that we can receive it and give it. Not just giving it out, but receive and give, because that's part of what it really means to be a human being. To the degree that we as an organization model that characteristic, we will change the world. That we will, maybe we're standing as a catalyst and God is really changing the world through us, which is probably a more accurate way of saying it, but we are taking a stand for global change, and it will happen. So this, I think, is a really important thing. So when you think about operating systems, you think about, all right, well, what's this ancient construct? Where is the operating system to be seen in the Bible? And one of the ways that we see it is through the shepherding model. So if we can pull up that next slide... We have this statement at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. John the Baptist, he he is seeing Jesus as young. At this point in, in John, it's this young adult Jesus already. And he's like, wow, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or the world's sin or the sins of the world. Different ways it's been articulated. And I look at that and I scratch my head and I think the Lamb of God is that the way we're supposed to take away the sin of the world because if I was writing the Bible like if if I was given the job hey would you mind writing this Bible for me and it's supposed to be the, the plan book or the playbook for how the world is supposed to operate when I came to the What takes away the sins of the world part, maybe I would have said a nuclear arsenal to be my 13-year-old self. Or, you know, I would have come up with some kind of confrontational violent solution probably. But a lamb? Seriously? A little innocent lamb? You have that lamb picture? Throw that up? Yeah, there it is. How is that possible? And yet embedded in this idea is this ancient truth that I've been talking about. So the Bible is written in a shepherd model that the whole economy was based on shepherding at that time in that part of the world. It's all about how shepherds work and how sheep work. And if you were a shepherd and you heard those words, you were like, yeah, of course. I have to learn how to take really good care of those lambs because those lambs are my future. You could think of it sort of just flat out from an economic standpoint if you wanted to. But also, I think if you think about it a little bit more deeply and you think about sin and what sin really is and the harm that comes out of hatred and that blackness that's kind of embodied by sin you can see that the antidote truly is the love that is symbolized by a lamb. So to the degree that we cultivate lambs in our lives, or what's symbolized by lambs, because we don't live in that that agrarian culture anymore, but to the degree that we as human beings are willing to challenge ourselves And take care of those lambs, take care of them wisely and intelligently, and focus all our energy on growing that which is symbolized by lambs. Maybe we're going to start to see some changes. And so, with that in mind, I want to invite the band to come out for the next song. And you can just think about as they're coming out, what are those lambs symbolizing in your sphere of influence, in your heart, in your relationships with others, in your community? What is symbolized by that innocent, kind of vulnerable, yielding, beautiful lamb, and yet it's a lamb with so much potential? So I wanted to read a little uh, section of New Testament that comes out of the Gospel of John a little bit later where Jesus is talking about good shepherds. He says, well, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. I'm just going to stop there. So here we have this... Um, Really, it's tying it in with this is the operating system here. And, and if you think from a Christian model, we have Jesus himself saying, well, really, I am just a shepherd. I am a good shepherd. I'm a shepherd who really knows how to shepherd, and I'm not like those other ones that maybe uh, aren't so committed or so dedicated or care or, or whatever. So thinking about this story, I went back and I looked at uh, there are a couple, maybe a couple of hundred references to sheep throughout the bible and shepherding and i thought well what's the list that you come up with when you read about what are the qualities of a good shepherd from a biblical perspective what what does that list look like and how does that compare with the list of shepherds well who may be not so good or maybe evil and i came up with the list so we're going to put up that first list if we can Um, Let's keep going here. We'll have that somewhere. There we go. Basic qualities of good shepherds. Good shepherds, according to the Bible, good shepherds, they comfort the sheep. They nurture the sheep. They feed the sheep. They enlighten the sheep, which might be a clue that we're speaking somewhat metaphorically here because I don't know of any shepherds that are sitting there with a flock of sheep and saying, I shall enlighten you now. Uh, But they, they work on growing the sheep, they sustain the sheep, they protect the sheep, they lead the sheep, they heal the sheep, they offer fresh water to sheep, and importantly, they go out and when the sheep are lost in the wilderness, they go out and they find those sheep and they bring them back so that they can be safe and they teach. So there's a nice list of biblical qualities for good shepherds. And we can think of, well, what, it, what does it mean to be a good shepherd? And we come up with probably a similar list even today. So if we go to the next list of the bad shepherds, here we have another list. And this obviously is somewhat different than the first list, but bad shepherds are angry. Hmm. They are unreliable. We saw some of that in the hireling analogy there. They starve the sheep. They consume the sheep. In one specific passage, it talks about them consuming the sheep after they starve the sheep. Well, go think about that for a minute. They abandon the sheep. They ignore the sheep. They scatter the flock. They devalue the sheep. They steal the sheep. They forget about the sheep. There you go. That's, that's my somewhat abbreviated list, and I could come up with more qualities if we wanted to, but um, that would just get boring. So think about this for a minute, and there are obvious analogies with religion, with shepherding, with good shepherding and bad shepherding that come out of the Bible, even though in general I think the organization or church organizations as a whole, have kind of left that model. And maybe part of what I'm suggesting is maybe we've strayed a little bit too far from the model. I, I, I don't know. But we can think, for example, in terms of God being the good shepherd. So we read about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And we can think of those original good qualities and we can think about, um, yeah, I don't know where that comes I'm sorry, the the slide deck's a little mixed up, and it's all my fault. It's not the people in the back. But um, if you think about the list of good, good qualities for shepherding, you can say, well, isn't it true that a loving God operates in such a way as a good shepherd, a really good, qualified, skilled, caring shepherd, would in relation with his lambs. And by the way, we in that construct are those lambs that God cares about us. God is constantly reaching out. God is constantly offering us leadership and sustenance, spiritual sustenance, a way forward, healing, health to come reach us when we're lost and bring us back and help us to grow and be healthy in spiritual ways that's kind of a construct and a model for God you can also think of it in terms of churches and if you just think for a minute well a pastor that is a shepherding type word and a pastor is supposed to be a good shepherd now if you read in the newspaper. How often do we see examples of pastors that are operating while they're not being as good shepherds as what we might like? And as a result, it's as if the flock is scattered. So you can see those models. And uh, I wanted to say that, um, you know, especially in reference to when you think about God, and you think about God being a good shepherd, When we are viewing God from a place where we are not our best self, we're not in that uh, modality of really being clear-sighted and wise, we're maybe being a little bit overly ego-controlled, or maybe we are exercising some fear-based thinking and that kind of thing, And when we're in that place, we don't always see God in the light of those good qualities. We sometimes see God as being angry, or we sometimes see God as being threatening. But if you really think theologically, that doesn't work, because God, being divine, universal, love itself, by definition, is incapable of being angry toward anybody. That's a teaching that we have in new church theology that's reflected over and over and over that yes, we don't always view God through the best and clearest lenses and because of that, we we look at God as as if there were anger, there were threat, there was fear or something like that but the reality is it's all about pure love which again draws us back to that operating system. So, what I want to focus on today is really not, not about how pastors or church organizations are supposed to function, not even about this functioning of God, which is like up uh, in the core of our existence all the time but about a choice that we have. And this is getting back to Scarlett Lewis a little bit, about a difficult and courageous and powerful choice that all of us get to make every single day as we're living. In New Church theology, we're taught a little bit different model of this shepherding kind of thought. Yes, it's it's referred to pastors. Yes, it's referred to God but it is also referring to the quality of our faith. That our faith is supposed to operate like a good shepherd. And what I mean by that is, well, in the first level, it might mean when you read the Bible, read it from that construct and keep thinking to yourself, this is supposed to operate like a good shepherd. So it goes back to those good qualities. It's supposed to function in ways that draw out goodness, that build goodness, that nurture, that feed, that heal, that draw up, that lift up, that offer spiritual life and sustenance to anything that is truly good. Yeah, that's, that's those stories in the Bible. That's our theology in general. But also to take the analogy a little bit further, and this is really the important part for me, is every single thought that pops into our head, every idea, every concept, every insight, every philosophic value judgment, every reflection, every pondering, every dream, every piece of our cognitive existence is designed to be used in our lives like a good shepherd toward building, nurturing, sustaining, increasing, receiving, guiding love in our world so that we too can learn to be open to receiving love from God and giving love as true human beings. So th- think about that. Every thought that pops into your head. How Skillful are we as good shepherds to take those thoughts and say, you know, I'm really going to steer this in a way so that I am able to reach out and I'm able to build, as it were, my flock around me in a certain way so that so that I can increase the health of the flock. And by flock, I mean the different loves that we are engaged in in our lives, the different kinds of things that we love the different things that we recognize other people love in our sphere of influence and that we are serving in our community as shepherds building that love and we're starting to marshal our consciousness in ways that really operate as a good shepherd. I think uh, in terms of the contrast for a moment, between the good shepherds in our mentality and the evil shepherds in our mentality. There's a wonderful story, and it's a difficult story, that comes to mind out of the New Testament where Jesus and his disciples come upon a group of people and they are surrounding a woman who was caught, as is said in the text, she was caught in the very act of committing adultery which was a, a crime punishable by death at that time. Difficult situation. She had broken the law, and they were ready to punish her. And from the story, you get this atmosphere of bloodlust from the group of people that were around. They had stones that they were going to throw at this woman, and they were going to kill her by stoning, which is a horrible and difficult analogy, and I would say it 's completely metaphoric, and it 's helpful to recognize the metaphor that 's behind this story. So there's a person who broke the law, and there are people that are using jagged stones in order to kill that person. What I want you to think about is that those stones are symbolic of truths in our lives. And then when we think about that, the question that immediately comes up is how are we willing and able to use the things that we regard as truth in our lives? Do we use them as jagged stones in order to put somebody else to death, which is a very harsh and judgmental action, or Are we willing to use those stones in some other way? Jesus comes into the story. He kneels on the ground. He's kind of drawing in the clay and he says to the crowd, "Uh, you who are without sin, person who's never sinned in their entire lives, let them cast that first stone. All right? Let them do that. You can start that, but, but you have to be without sin. And of course, Everybody's like scratching their head and thinking a little bit, and they're like, well, I'm disqualified. And they walk away. Everybody leaves, and the woman survives. And he just says, go and sin no more, and that's the end of the story. But for me, it's a harsh story. It's a difficult story to hold, but the story has tremendous power because it reminds us how we as human adult people living in our age, which is filled with all kinds of trauma, but how are we using our truth? How are we using our thoughts? How are we using our insights? How are we using the, the things God opens up in our lives that we can see in order to bring about healing, bring about sustenance, bring about feeding, bring about life, and build a presence, a more solid presence of, again, that flock that is around us. That is the operating system. That's the operating system, and that changes everything. It changes everything. So for me, it's incredibly powerful to go back and think, yeah, you know, here I am. I have been a pastor in this church for almost 30 years. And there have been times when I've been like heads down, really concentrating on the truth, understanding the truth, and I've got to impose the truth or enforce the truth, or thinking in those terms. And in my life, that imposition, that enforcing model doesn't really work very well when I come back and I stand back and I say, this is all about love. And how do I use what I understand, use what I know in order to be a gentle shepherd? That the goal is connected with those little lambs that are out there. And when I think of little lamb, I think of vulnerable, gentle, young loves that maybe are just beginning in a person's heart. And it's easy to come in and it's easy to shut those down. They need, they need care. They need nurturing. And that's true for us, you know, in our own individual hearts, but it's just as true in our relationships with other human beings. And how do we reach out and serve I have this funny story because um, this happened last Sunday, as it as it just happened, um, and the story is about how easy it is to respond from, you know, the the external context of what you observe. You know, you see something, and in a flash, you you create this inner story about what you think is happening, and then. Because you create this story, you can react in the most obtuse ways because you don't really know what the story is, right? We all do that. Um, and it can damage relationships. It can do all kinds of, uh, you know, it just leads us, leads me, speaking purely from my own perspective, leads me down a car- garden path and always gets me in trouble. So I am preaching in this little church in Stockholm. It's a wonderful little church. I used to be pastor there a million years ago, and I'm preaching in Swedish, which is kind of an accomplishment today. And so I'm there talking, you know, blah, blah, blah. There is, you know, 20 people there, and so it's a small congregation, very small community, and nine kind of... People, nine people, nine large males with hair walk into the church. Three of them have Heinekens. And I'm thinking to myself, this is, something's going on here, you know. Um, so, and everybody's looking around like, what's going on, what's going on? Nine people, and that, that almost doubles the size of the congregation when they come in. And they are looking mighty disheveled, and um, I have no idea what's going on, so I just invite them in, sit down, and continue the message. And in this church, I'm wearing a robe, so it's kind of like formal, and I just continue the thing, and, and I'm noticing, well, they're not really tracking all that well, and I'm thinking, well, it's probably the Heineken, but, you know, I don't know, um, I wind up um, the service as quickly as possible. Um, I go out, change out of my robes, come back out, and I meet these people. And they're like, hey, it is so awesome to meet you. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Who are you? (laughs) They say, well, we, we live in Helsinki, Finland. And we took the overnight boat, which is known in Stockholm as the booze cruise, uh, we we took the overnight ferry from Helsinki to Stockholm. We have three hours. We wanted to come to this service because we watch off the left eye, which is a Swedenborgian variant uh, that we do online. We watch off the left eye all the time in Helsinki, and we really wanted to meet some people who are engaged in this, in this theology. And, oh, by the way, we don't speak Swedish, so we couldn't really understand what you were saying. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where um, it would have been so easy to respond, kind of like, put up your guard, be careful, and it was a wonderful meeting with a group of people that traveled the entire night on a booze cruise to Stockholm, walked in because they wanted to be present. And that, to me, was uh, really cool. And the fact that they walked in with Heinekens, I mean, what, well, they did come on the booze cruise, you know. Um, But the point wasn't that, and they didn't come, they weren't drunk when they came in. They were just human beings looking for contact, and that was really amazing. So for me to, you know, withhold judgment, who are these people? What's their story? How can I act as a gentle shepherd in relationship with them and find out what they need and see if I can serve that? Well, it turned out I could serve that really pretty easily. Like I, I'm pretty dialed in as a minister, and I've got some resources for them. So that was really cool, and I was able to write up my email address and say, "Hey, you know, let's continue this this conversation. Maybe the next time I come to Stockholm, I'll take the booze cruise to Helsinki, <laughs> and we can get together." So um, that's how we left things. It's just a simple little example. But my point is, to the degree that we as human beings dial into that operating system, powerful things happen, really powerful things. And these are not things that just, that we engineer ourselves. And that's part of the, uh, there's a supernatural part of religion And that is God's love is the power of life. God's love is what heals us when we are incapable of healing ourselves. God's love has the ability to keep us away from our addictions, from our compulsions, from our explosions. And we can share that life with other people so that they can engage in that process as well. So as soon as we start operating as as gentle shepherds, and really thinking in terms of trying to completely operate as gentle shepherds, then we start seeing, I think, rather dramatic changes in our world. And I I think just, you know, to put it right out there, how incredibly random does it seem to, like, an individual is just standing there preaching in Swedish, focusing on just trying to get through the message so that it's intelligible to a group of people When another group of people, they they came from a different country, they show up in that service knowing they're not going to speak Swedish, and they are looking for connection. Like that to me is a little bit of the example of, yeah, these supernatural things, these supernatural connections start to happen because there are more and more people that are engaged in the operating system. That to me is actually a really, really precious and beautiful thing. And okay, so they they look disheveled because they were they spent all night awake, and they were looking for something. And amazingly, we were able to to help with that. So I, I I think that that can get folded out into everyday life for any one of us as long as we are kind of keeping our eyes open. How can we operate? in ways that nurture, that lead, that serve, that heal, that find that love that is lost and draw it, to ba- draw it back. How can we operate as gentle shepherds in the same way that Jesus did? If we do that, it all shifts. It all shifts. So my Monday morning message for new church live, is take steps in that direction and just ask yourself in prayer, Lord, help me to be a gentle shepherd too. Show me the way. Help me to reach out just once or just twice. And if we do that, something big is going to change. So with that, I want to thank you all for coming. We are going to have a closing prayer with some music. Uh, I'll say a prayer and then you'll have a chance to pray on your own and you can say the Lord's prayer or you can say your own prayer. I know there's a lot of healing thoughts going on. November is always in my mind a time for healing and transition and a lot of people in in our community are needing healing prayers and thoughts. So I'll be keeping my thoughts in those directions during my part of the silent prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we turn to You as the author of life. We turn to You as the one who brings all new loves into existence and helps us identify them and see them. We recognize that You change our lives so many times by bringing these new loves unexpectedly into our lives. And we thank you for that. Lord, just help us be gentle shepherds today. Help us reach out with a nurturing heart. Help us see what we can say, what we can share with others so that others are healed. Inspire us, O Lord, with leading so that the love in our hearts can be fortified by You and that we can share Your beautiful, healing love. Lord, we ask that You bring Your peace into our world. Amen.